Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Tech policy is a funny kind of thing at uh, times in that it, well, for a variety of reasons. It generally doesn't run along traditional party lines, for one thing. Um, and it also used to be, I think, almost entirely about federal law. Yet recently we've noticed an increasing uh, regionalization of tech policy issues as states and cities have become increasingly engaged. Uh, part of this may have to do with the fact that Congress just doesn't seem to do anything or doesn't seem to function very well anymore. Uh, so cities and states have felt the need to jump in. And some of it stems from more traditional desires to create regions that are friendly to innovation or things like that. Um, but also much of it has to do with the fact that many tech companies today are creating industries that are inherently local. Uh, obviously, on this podcast in the past, we've talked quite a bit about things like the gig economy with Uber and Airbnb being two major players. And both of those companies have spent a ton of time having to deal with city-by-city city regulations. But it's impacting other areas as well. A few states have tried to get involved in fighting patent trolls by arguing that it's a consumer protection issue. States have taken the lead on various privacy and data breach laws as well. California has often been seen as leading the way in creating privacy laws that effectively become national law since so many tech companies are here or uh, at least do significant business here. Today on the podcast, I wanted to talk about this trend, and we have the perfect guest to do so. Uh, Julie Samuels has been on the podcast a few times before, uh, the last time to talk about hacking the patent system. But last time when she was on, she was running Engine, an advocacy organization for startups. And now she's moved on into a new role at Tech NYC, which is also an advocacy organization for startups. Uh, but, but this one with a focus on advocating for tech uh, in New York City and making that city a welcoming place for technology and innovation. So, Julie, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It is always a pleasure. <laughs> Great. So uh, let's dive right in and and just start with the big question of, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of things in the opening, but mm -hmm. what do you think is kind of really driving this move towards more regional focus in policymaking? I think there are a couple trends at play, and you did hit, hit on uh, many of them. But number one, obviously Congress not getting a lot done. Mm -hmm. um, so to the extent there's a need for regulatory action, and we can debate and talk a little bit later about if we think there is or isn't, but a lot of that's gonna get pushed to the states and local governments. Uh, so right. that's reactionary. I think that part of the trend is bigger than that though, and we see this at the federal level too. And it was for a long time, regulators weren't paying that much attention to tech companies, to yeah. startups that's those days are over um, <laughs> <laughs> and so you've got all kinds of regulators up and down the chain all kinds of policymakers um who want to get i don't i shouldn't say who want to get involved that's not the right way to put it but who who want to look into what's happening in tech industry in some of these companies um, mm -hmm. they're 
I'm making air quotes, which you can't see, but there are sexy <laughs> issues uh, for a lot of legislators. They're uh -huh. um, driving a lot of the public discourse. So it's actually um, understandable yeah. that I think you'd see these policymakers um, want to get involved. And, and one last thing that I think we can kind of circle back so we can spend a little bit more time on later, but there's really good reasons for local regulators. Listen, there are good reasons why we would handle some of this stuff at the federal level, but there yep. are also good reasons why we would handle some of this stuff at the state and local level. Um, yep. And we can talk well, about that. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, in, in my sort of thinking about it, I, I think it's kind of a mixed bag, right? I mean, I think there are certain situations where I agree that I think it's good that we're seeing this and, and for a variety of reasons that, yeah, I mean, we can go into, um, and, and, you know, some aspects of it, I think are positive, but some aspects of it, I think can also be negative. And, and so it's, it's, it's hard to say, I, and I don't, I, I don't think that there's like, that you could say this is a good or a bad thing. I don't think, I don't think anyone necessarily is claiming that it's a good or a bad thing. I think it's just a reality and it has some good aspects and has some bad aspects. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so do you, well, I don't know. What do you, what do you think would make most sense? Should we talk about some of the specific issues or some of the trends? Yeah, let's, um, I, I guess let's go into some of the specific issues to start with, just so people have a sense of what we're yeah. talking about. It's not this kind of amorphous, you know, like, oh, this is happening, but we right. can't give any examples. So let's, let's jump in. What, what do you want to start with? Why don't we start with privacy and ECBA, All right. which I think has been interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, you've talked about ECBA on this podcast Yep. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people know what it is, but very high level, just to get everyone on the same page, there is a 1986 law on the books, a federal law um, that has to do with what was then called electronic communications, what we all talk about now as email. Um, mm -hmm. And essentially it says that certain old, older emails um, can be obtained from a company by law enforcement without a warrant. Right. Um, again, you know, just talking at a very high level here, but I think that by and large, everyone would agree that this was was not what the law intended, right? When it was right. drafted. Well, I mean, past. and part of the problem, just to, to give an example of it um, more concretely, and there there are a variety of uh, um, issues within ECPA, um, but but like the one that is often called out because it's sort of so obvious as to why the law is kind of outdated is is the idea that emails that are on a server that are older than 180 days are considered abandoned and therefore you don't actually need a warrant. Um, you can just, you know, request them with an administrative subpoena, which is a much lower um, barrier. And so, you know, in, in an age where you had client server computing and email was downloaded to your local machine, that p potentially made sense. But in an age where everything is, you know, online and, you know, uh, you have webmail and cloud-based email, you know, all of our email is on a server all the time. So the idea that you've abandoned it after 180 days and any, um, you know, any government agency can go and get it without, you know, fulfilling the requirements of a, a warrant, which is, you know, probable cause of, of some sort of violation, um, that seems wrong. That's right. And I think that this is a really good issue to start with because it makes sense to a lot of people that this was a piece of legislation that was written well before modern technology was contemplated by legislators. Um, right. I'm sure actually many legislators still don't contemplate how a lot of us use modern <laughs> technology, but that's a story for another day. Um, yeah. So it seems ripe for a pretty easy fix. Um, and Congress has recently gotten a little bit of traction, so that's good news. But last year, the state of California passed a fix. We've been calling it Cal ECPA, mm -hmm. um, and that was great. And that was, like you said in the introduction, 
um, a really important moment for privacy intern uh, across the country, not just in California, because it kind of put a, you know, a flag in the ground, if you will, to, mm -hmm. to, to show how a coalition could come together and get this done, to show what the law could look like, to show other state legislatures how they could do something similar. And since then, right. similar bills have been introduced in Virginia, in New Jersey, and right here in New York, where I am based. And there is a bill bouncing around in Albany right now. And it, it's a little day to day where things stand, but there's a good chance that bill could become law, if mm -hmm. not this year, then next year. Um, and that's meaningful. It's meaningful for people who live in New York, yep. for companies who are based in New York. It's actually like the kind of policy outcome that has a direct and immediate impact. And it's also meaningful in the message it sends to other states and to Washington, D.C. about an appetite to get this done. And I think that right. that's, that's almost as interesting to me as the first part. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, but there is also, I mean, there are the flip sides, which is that, you know, we've seen some some privacy laws and state privacy law or attempts at privacy law that I think are, are also more questionable. And so, you know, that's that's where, again, there's this balance where it's like not necessarily always good or bad. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you get things that I, I think are a little sketchier. That's right. Uh, and so, um, I mean, I'm sort of trying to, off the top of my head come up with a good example of that but um you know even even again in california for example um you know i think they they've gone a little overboard in trying to enforce like uh, certain aspects of privacy policies um you know california one of the, you know they were one of the early ones who passed a law that required um privacy policies what they call privacy policies yeah. and you know i and i've we, we did a whole podcast early on where I ranted about the ridiculousness of a privacy policy, which is actually the exact yes. opposite of that because it's, it's basically, you know, you're basically setting up your own uh, laws for how you handle privacy. And, and people think if a site has a privacy policy, which is now required by law in many places, including California, that, that you will take their privacy seriously. And, and the reality is that the intent of a privacy policy is often to say, we're not going to take your privacy right. policy seriously, but because we put it in fine print, you'll never we, know the difference. You'll never yeah. know. Um, and so I think that's, that's been a, a huge mistake in terms of, you know, if you really wanted to create good privacy law, you know, doing things like that uh, is sort of showy and it sounds good. It's one of those ideas that sounds good on paper if yep. you don't think through how it actually works. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of a state law example where, you know, so so again, you have the sort of the good and the bad. But I'd rather together. see something like that happen at the state level than at the sure. federal level for two reasons. Number yes. one, well, I mean, obviously, for all the obvious kind of reasons yeah. why you wouldn't want a federal law like that. But there's this idea of the states as laboratories of democracy. Yep. Right. And I totally. think a lot of people have probably thought about that. And I think that right now we're in this crucial kind of time where that is really true for a lot of these tech issues. I think you're right that those privacy policy laws don't make a lot of sense, but you know, if and when that issue does escalate its way to a federal effort, we'd be able yeah. to push back on the fact and show what we've learned over time in a way that would be very hard to do if it hadn't totally, been the state totally. law, right? And and that's, yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's, that, I'm, that's good. <laughs> that's uh, all I had to say about that. But, okay. but I think that's going to be a theme I talk about a couple times yeah. throughout this conversation. This like laboratories of democracy Absolutely. idea is, um, it's working right now. It's yeah. not perfect, and that isn't an excuse to do stupid stuff or pass dumb laws. But, you know, 
Yeah. It's really hard to get a federal law passed. And once it gets passed, it doesn't get fixed. Yep. Um, it doesn't get tweaked. There's no iteration. It's pretty much the law. It's very rare that you can, you know, fix a tiny problem in a big piece of legislation at the yeah. federal level. So to the extent we can try and work some of those kinks out at the state and local level, um, I think we're going to be in much better shape when we have the big, big national debates. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, like another point that I've raised um, in the past and it's sort of the same issue but from a slightly different direction is, you know, this idea that so much um, – you know, regulation and sort of lawmaking is what I refer to as kind of faith-based, which yeah. is, you know, we have this problem, we're going to do X and it will fix the problem. And 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 then, like, you know, once the law is passed, nobody ever checks. <laughs> they assume, like, we said this was the problem, we said this was the fix, we passed the law, we're done. Um, and and it's all based on, like, well, you know, if if X, then Y. And, and nobody thinks of the the actual realities of how those things play out. And often, as we well know, there are many other consequences, whether they're intended or not, is a separate discussion. Um, but m many of them could be argued as unintended, problematic consequences. And, you know, what I would love to see is more evidence-based yes. lawmaking. <laughs> and part of that is actually having, you know, examples and trial runs and ways to test things and ways to go back and measure. And you know, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to get to the point where we're going to, I mean, you know, we have ridiculous, like, sunset periods within federal laws and things like that. Those never work out. But we don't really have, like, a system that, that really says, like, you know, here's here's the metrics, here's how we're going to measure whether or not this law works, and here's the time period after which we're going to change it. So in in, in lieu of that, I love the idea of, well, here are you know, 50 or so different experiments that can be yeah. run and we can look at the actual data for how they worked and what they did and what the impact was. Um, and so that experimentation could lead to more evidence-based policymaking. And, and that, I think, is is really powerful if, if it works. And it doesn't always work that way. What I think, first of all, I just completely 100% echo everything you just said. And I've been trying to think a lot about ways to make lawmaking and policymaking more flexible to address exactly what you're talking about. Because even if we have, even if we have 50 states pass 50 different versions of a law, and we have all yeah. that data, and Congress then like really digs in <laughs> on all that data, all those things are never going to happen. But just True. for the sake of argument, presume they did. Um, you still have a world where technology is changing so rapidly. Yep. And we bake these laws in and we don't ever go, with the exception of really these sunset provisions that you flagged. Um, and I assume most people know what those are, but essentially that's usually a provision of the bill that says in 10 years, this section will die and you need to either repass right. it or reinvestigate it. And those aren't always useful, but they are one tool that forces lawmakers to reevaluate. Sure. Um, I'm totally in the market for other tools like that. And I actually think that um, figuring out that piece, figuring out how to make law iterative yeah. is like one of the primary challenges we face as a society. And that's yeah. not just related to tech, but I think across the board. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm in complete agreement. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really supportive of, you know, I wish there were, was something that required metrics. You know, I mean, it obviously depends on the law and what's trying to be accomplished. But if there was some sort of thing that that required, you know, transparency and metrics and and a goal, and it, it just, you know, uh, you know, maybe it's just sort of like the technology view viewpoint, right? Where you know, the technology world tends to be very iterative. It, it, bleh, I can't even say that word, iterative. Uh, you know, <laughs> where where you know, it, it's trying to accomplish something. It 
try something and it has some metrics and it says if we're not you know reaching our goal we got to change course um you know the the policy making process does not seem to do it's that the opposite. Uh, you know, it's yeah. the opposite um it's and like so we it, have an idea we come up with our thesis first yeah and that's it and then that's all we do yeah which is and just, if anything all we do is compromise yeah. to get there which is actually right. a better outcome <laughs> than usual but um you know that's the way a, a multi-party system a two-party system works um, yeah i think this is like this is you know a little bit kind of no it's not really off topic it's a little tangential but i do really think this is so crucial um particularly in political times like these when mm -hmm. the differences between the parties seem so intractable and there's such a stalemate and absolutely nothing gets done that's i mean that's just a bad outcome for everybody yeah um so let me, but let me bring up you know there's so there are some other potential issues with kind of the yeah. more regional policy making and so um you know that I, I think are at least you know interesting and, and potentially concerning so you know one is you know if you have like a federal law to deal with in your company like you can deal with that yes. you know if if you are an internet company for example and even like not even going internationally which is a whole other you know issue but just staying within the u.s if you have 50 different laws to deal yes. with or if you're you know if we're talking you know down to the city level you know however many different regulations to deal with that can become very difficult as well particularly true when you're talking about startups yep. um, and you're talking about the boundaryless internet um yep. the patchwork is is really difficult to navigate. When you think about this in, you know, kind of pre-technology based companies, you'd have perhaps an annoying framework of regulations, but you'd be able to hire the right lawyer who was an expert in that field and kind of check the box. Right. Now you're not really able to do that so well. I agree that that is incredibly problematic. And you see this thing where a lot of states are kind of chomping at the bit. We want to be the state that passes the data breach bill that's right. going to that's going to set the standard for the country. Um, and I think this is one of the negative aspects of D.C. being so dysfunctional right now is that there's a vacuum. And yeah. when they're not doing something on Capitol Hill, these states legislatures are going to try and do that thing. Right. Um, and that's bad. Fifty different <laughs> data breach bills would be really bad for tech companies. Yes. Um, there should be a standard around what you do when there's a data breach. That's good for the that's good for the world that everyone can understand what that standard is. Um, but I think you're exactly right. And, and this so is so, but I mean, so you know, some I think some people listening might might argue that that's kind of a contradiction to what we were saying earlier. So so I mean, is there a way to sort of you know, I mean, are there are there certain laws where it's better to have that experimentation or are there certain laws where it's better to have the standard? And how do you distinguish which one is which? Yeah, I think there are. It's kind of hard for me to draw black and white rules around this, but let me throw out well, some examples. No so we can talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> Don't, I just don't want to get myself in that much trouble. Um, <laughs> but let me throw out some examples and we can kind okay. of talk about them. Uh, I think that data breach bill is an example where federal legislation would would be better than state by state legislation. Mm hmm. Um, I think that some of the regulatory battles that we've seen around ride sharing, home sharing are better at the local level mm -hmm. because different communities kind of react differently for different reasons. So, for instance, in New York, we have a set of infrastructure that's very different than the infrastructure in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And that 
that changes how these communities should potentially interact with new market entrants, um, new kind of ways of doing business. So I, I, I think when we're talking about some of those more traditional regulatory landscapes, uh, drones is another really good example. Yeah. Like how crowded airspace is in any given city could really change how we uh, kind of regulate or don't regulate what we do about drones. Like I live in a world of super tall apartment buildings right. um, and crazy busy uh, airspace. That totally changes. So so let, let me, um, based on that, and, and I, I think you have more, but based on that, it sounds like the distinction there that I'm hearing is when it actually involves physical infrastructure, a more mm-hmm. regional approach makes sense. I think it's more than just physical infrastructure, okay. though I do, that's true, physical infrastructure for sure. Okay. Um, but there's also certain kind of uh, community developments, um, okay. like who the other players are, where there might be, I mean, some of it's purely political, where there might be a powerful union on the other side, um, where there might be a robust taxicab industry or not, mm-hmm. um, which is more than just straight up infrastructure, right? Um, sure. Uh, well, you can, you know, one, something we haven't talked about yet that I think is really interesting when you talk about state and local legislation and regulation is um, access to connectivity and fiber and muni broadband. Yep. Um, that's something where it's all state and local for the most part. Um, yep. So, okay, infrastructure, yeah. So that's a place for sure. And But even okay. beyond that, where there are specific community norms. Okay. Listen, it's important that when tech firms, when tech companies come in to an environment, I think it's important that those firms work with existing um, existing community, mm-hmm. right? We want this to be, that's just better for everyone. So I think that, that that's a piece of it as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it does feel like a gray area though. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, because somebody could argue right now, and and this is slightly just playing devil's advocate here, but, you know, somebody could argue that, um, you know, like a data breach law, you know, you're worried about 50 different data breach laws, as am I. But, you know, you could say that, but some of that could be based on community norms, right? I mean, there could be community norms around, you know, informing people of, of you know, um, information breaches or whatever. Um and so, yeah, but I don't think it. I mean, I think that specific <laughs> example is a little bit more far fetched, particularly because okay. it's a, some of these things that are, when you talk about data breach bills, again, to use that as an example, you're talking about something that's really part and parcel with the internet. Sure. Right? So it's still a little bit newer. When I'm talking about community norms, I'm thinking of things that have been ingrained in the community for decades, if not longer. Mm-hmm. Um, things like, you know, uh, I mean, I hate to always go back to Uber as an example, but it's, I think, an easily digestible yeah. example at this point when you've had perhaps uh, a local government commission or a taxi industry that has been active for decades upon decades. That's a different thing than, right. you know, a decade of thinking about data breach. Yeah. Um, and that's more when I say community norms, just to be clear, that's more what I'm thinking about. Sure. Um, or, you know. Something that's interesting here is when we think about a lot of the new kind of future of work 1099 W2 stuff, um, it's sure. about involving the freelancers union who've been doing similar work for a long time. Yep. I think that's a really important thing to do. Um, 
that doesn't mean that as a tech industry we shouldn't be charting our own course but i also don't think we should pretend that no one ever came before us <laughs> what fun is that <laughs> <laughs> fair enough i mean yes i mean there are always going to be some people within this industry who do not care what That's came right. before but but i think you know there are there uh, it is often valuable to actually understand and and see where there are opportunities and it's not to say you know always always abide by the way things were done in the past because obviously a lot of tech is is really about you know recognizing that the way things were done in the past no longer makes sense um and i fundamentally agree and believe with that proposition by the way yeah no <laughs> just to be clear <laughs> just to be clear yes i'm aware of that but for our yes. listeners too yes right. <laughs> <laughs> we're on the same page on that but we want to i mean but that's also better for tech you know yeah. to the extent you can have a big tent and bring more people in and help more people here's the thing that i've noticed in doing this work particularly at the state and local level where more mm -hmm. people are have more kind of direct um a direct tie-in, if you will. There are more people personally affected, it feels like, at the state and local level. And to the extent we can be smart as a community about having a big tent, about explaining why these issues matter, about saying what you just said, about how we are trying to create the tools that are going to make everybody's life lives better if we get it right, mm -hmm. you know, that to me is better from a kind of self-interested point of view for tech and also better for the world. Yeah. Because we have got centuries ahead of us to figure this all out. And if we screw up the regulatory framework, it's just going to slow us down. It's just going to be harder. I believe that technology will overcome stupid regulation, but you're going to take a potentially decades long hit in making that happen. Right. And that's just not interesting to me. No, no. What is interesting to me is finding a way to get the most people together around the table to figure out a path for this, to get yeah. the most and best technical tools to the most people possible. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not everyone would agree, by the way. A lot of people would yeah. say, like, better to just pull through. Um, it, it, I still believe in the process, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and I probably believe in it a little bit more than a lot of people in our space. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that the process is, uh, listen, I think it's a necessary evil. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then just to, to again, you know, partially play devil's advocate or, or, or you know, partially look at, the potential downsides to, to this side of thing, this kind of thing, you know, one of the things that we've certainly seen is that, you know, and this goes beyond just the tech policy, obviously, like there has been a big focus on, you know, uh, on regionalizing policy efforts. Um, and, you know, with a focus on the states and basically recognizing that you can get a lot more done. Um, and that hasn't always led to this great you know, lab of experimentation, oftentimes it has, um, the, I guess the cynical viewpoint would be has resulted in, you know, large industries recognizing that if they push the not very good bill to potentially less sophisticated state policymakers right. in 50 states, they're able to get, you know, bad policy through across the board very quickly. Um, yeah, I think that's something we really need to be concerned about yeah so you i know, mean that's kind of the model for alec right yes i, I was without saying without I, calling I, out alec but if we're going to call them out sure i mean that I'll, is I'll like, call them out okay so so <laughs> you know so yeah. alec is an organization that has put up all these kind of model um laws for the states to pass and you'll notice that alec is a right 
leaning organization, but this could happen you sure. know, anyway. And it's essentially, it's kind of like laundering laws, like money laundering for laws or something. I'm not yeah. sure it's quite the right analogy, but you know, the idea is that pushing out all of these bills, they end up kind of passing in many, many states. And listen, when you couple this with, with what we've seen about gerrymandering and, um, yep. and kind of how so many states have, um, their state legislators have become right-leaning because of how districts have been drawn. Um, it does become a little troubling for the reason, the exact reasons you, you kind of say there. It's like you get this thing passed in enough states, the next thing you know, it's kind of the status quo and Congress just right. goes along. And, yeah. and and you have the situation where, you know, you look at, at ALEC, for example, but, but others in similar situations too, where if you want to pass, you know, 50 state laws or not even 50, you know, get... 25, 30 state laws passed that that are effectively the same kind of bill that you, that you want passed, that that takes a lot of money, um, and therefore you're really talking about you know very large, often incumbent in- interests that are less interested in sort of you know disruption or whatever you want to call it, innovation, um, and and sort of encouraging innovation. Often they're very much against that kind of thing, and so there's a concern there that. You know, a focus on more regionalization potentially opens up an opportunity for, you know, um, cash-heavy legacy interests to sort of block innovative uh, pursuits. I think the flip side of that, though, I, mm-hmm. I don't think it – I totally agree with that. But I think there is another side to this coin, and we really saw this and continue to see it, frankly, in the kind of patent reform space. Mm-hmm. We've got, I think, more than 20 states now who've passed patent reform legislation – um, mm-hmm. at the state level, which for those listeners who know a lot about um, patent law and the difference between federal and state law know that this might sound kind of strange at first blush because patent law is federal law. Yep. Um, I was going to say generally, but not even. It, it, it just is. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's there are a lot of concerns about consumer protection and states can get in the game when it comes to protecting consumers. So there's some gray area there and many states, to their credit, have try to uh, take advantage of that gray area. Um, yeah. I think there's still some question marks about where these laws end up. Yep. But I think what we've seen there is that Congress can't, has had a hard time getting patent reform passed. And I think that you've got a lot of state attorneys general in particular who are really close to the situation, who've seen what's happening and yep. want to protect their consumers and want to protect the small innovators and inventors in their states. And so they've done something about it. And what that's created is not only... Um, a drumbeat of action on an important issue, but it has also turned a lot of these states' attorneys generals, governors, um, other elected officials into uh, some of the greatest champions for patent reform. Yeah. And those people have come to D.C. They've testified on the Hill. Um, it hasn't been enough thus far to get it done, but it has been a key part of the coalition. Um, yeah. And that's been important, too. So that's that's the other side of the same coin. Yeah, and and you know, honestly, some of those some of the state patent efforts, I think, have had a real impact in, in sort yeah. of, you know, um, closing down or shutting off some of the really bad actors, the, the sort Definitely. of ex- extremely bad actors. Um, and I think that's good. You know, again, the slight devil's advocate. Um, you know, I, I I've seen those very same <laughs> state attorney generals in in other situations, um, trying to do the same thing in ways that I also. I'm not happy about. So, right. so well, I, I mean, but that's the same as any legislator, right? Sure. 
Sure, but it's uh, I don't know. St- <laughs> state attorneys generals, in, in in my experience, are yeah. are, are just the worst. <laughs> but but <laughs> um, I mean, the other thing that I wanted to quickly touch upon yeah. too that I think is important. I mean, part of the model for this like laboratories of democracy or whatever you call it, part of the idea of the state legislator or mm-hmm. the attorney general or whomever is that they are closer to sure. the legislated. And to the extent that's true, that's something that I think is important. It also gives these kind of state actors an opportunity to really support their community and understand what their community needs. So um, for instance, yeah. in Wisconsin, um, the state of Wisconsin was one of the first states to allow equity crowdfunding within its own borders before Congress yep. got on board and did that too. And that was the state actively saying, you know, we want to increase the flow of capital here. We want to increase the startups who are founded within the borders of Wisconsin. And yep. that ends up being complicated because keeping it, well, it ends up being complicated because you can't take investment from outside of Wisconsin in that in- instance. Right. But it's an important message and it's an important yeah. way that elected officials in Wisconsin can understand what's needed there and can also go on and champion those causes. And that's something I totally support. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think actually Texas did something similar yep, as well. That's right. Um, we're both I think very, a couple other very, states too ended up following yeah. suit. Um, but it, it's those things are meaningful. Um, whether or not they end up having, what, what their impact ends up being, I think is unclear, but I think they're meaningful. Um, yeah. And I think it's at the state level too, it's easier to, for let's say a small company, a couple people building a technology it's much easier for those people to have a relationship with their state legislators and i think that um to the extent innovators and inventors and you know startup founders are interested in having those relationships they tend to they end up being very helpful relationships to have they're not for everyone but Mm -hmm. interfacing with regulators is a good way to kind of head off a disaster down the road yeah that's not that's definitely not for everyone but first yeah no that's the right thing to do yeah, that's that's one of those things. Where, and some people like it, right? Some people actually yeah, really enjoy I do. it. And, and, and yeah, right. And, <laughs> and and it's you know it's great. Um, and I think it's it is also actually very useful for the policymakers to actually you know talk to um, you know talk to real you know yeah, entrepreneurs and, and and technologists and 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 the people who use those services too. Frankly, we've also um, seen. There's one other thing I wanted to bring up that we're sure. starting that we see a lot here in New York. Um, public-private partnerships at the local yeah. level have been so meaningful here we've got a really big effort to get computer science in the schools that's been Mm -hmm. driven by local legislatures by the mayor but also by the investor community and a lot of private actors who come to the table and are essentially funding it together right and that's really meaningful um it's kind of like saying to the community all right you really care about getting better computer science education in the schools like let's put your money in your where your mouth is and let's work on this together. And that's working. Um, there's also been an effort here to increase uh, high skill visas, H-1B visas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think recently the city of New York just was able to put 80 new visas online. And I think hmm. that just this week they opened up applications for those visas in a partnership with CUNY, with the City University of New York. Right. Um, so th- these are kind of things that can be done um, because Congress clearly is unable to do these things right now there are ways you can find public partner private private partnerships do them outside legislative action at the local level and that only gets done by like real relationship building sitting in a room um and hammering out deals and we're seeing that here and 
you know, we'll see how they play out. And if they're successful, I think they will be because they all have the right people behind them. them. Um, but that's, that's exciting and to me and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting space and I think, I mean, it'll be interesting to see sort of how it develops over time as well. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, and, you know, examples like that where that's, um, I mean, I think that kind of gets back to more specific stuff about like just sort of developing the local industry, right? Which, you know, I think, as I sort of said in the opening a little bit, you can, to some extent, sort of lump these into a couple different buckets. And, and, you know, one, just encouraging more innovative activity happening within your region. I think there are, you know, lots and lots of regions globally, <laughs> you know, who are interested in that. I mean, the number of times I've had yeah. meetings with mostly European folks trying to figure out how do we build the Silicon Valley back home or something silly like that, um, you know, it's, it's way too many to count. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... But, you know, like, you know, small, you know, useful um, collaborations that actually do encourage, you know, good things to happen. Um, yeah. I, th I think can be really useful. Yeah. So that's, that's, I mean, listen, that's why we're building Tech NYC here in New York. Well, I mean, right. that in the name. Um, and that, <laughs> what would you I do mean, do you think you that New York else? is, um, <laughs> there's a very healthy relationship here between industry and yeah. uh, government. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm excited to really explore that and understand where these kind of pressure points are, where we can get something done. Um, this isn't a panacea. It's not going to fix all of our problems, but legislators aren't going anywhere. Technology companies aren't going anywhere and we've got to find a way, we've got to find a way to work together. Right. I don't know. That's my operating <laughs> thesis, at least. We'll see if it's... Yeah, yeah, no, it'll be interesting. I mean, we'll, 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 we will have to check in again uh, on this issue as, as we go. But I think, I think we've, we've uh, basically used up our time for today. Uh, as always, an, an interesting discussion. Uh, I, I don't know if that was your last word or if you want to get in any final no, words. No, I mean, I think that's the most important thing. One thing I would actually say to the sure. listeners is we are here in New York, at least, and I'm sure other places as well, trying to think outside the box for ways we can help push a tech-friendly agenda here. Yeah. And to that extent, totally open to ideas. Um, I have a lot of crazy ideas myself. I think the vast majority of them probably won't work, but if a couple do, I think we'd be in really good shape. Um, and so, you know, techNYC.org, um, I'm really easy to find on the internet. Uh, I'm totally open to hearing other things that may have worked in other cities, um, or that people think could potentially work in cities. Um, I think there's a lot more flexibility at the city level than at the federal level on a lot of this stuff. So I'm excited to kind of dig in and explore that. So this is my, my final word is if you guys all have ideas, <laughs> let me know. It's a it's a pitch you're making. Yeah, a it's pitch. a pitch. I will try anything. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, and and let me know too because I am also interested in these things and figuring out ways to to encourage more innovation to happen in different ways and and creative ways that aren't necessarily tied to you know the old ways of of convincing politicians to do things. You know, yep. I think there's um, uh, the uh, the the author. Uh, Andy Kessler he wrote this book where he, he sort of compared different kinds of entrepreneurship where there was, I'm blanking on the exact terms that he used, but I think it was like economic or technology entrepreneurs versus political entrepreneurs. And he just talked about like, you know, how certain industries are kind of political entrepreneurs and that they're 
innovative in yes. the way that they sort of influence the lobbying and the policymaking, um, but not so much in terms of like actually building useful products for the world. You know, um, we should um, have that conversation a little bit closer to the election. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we, we can definitely do that and we will definitely have you back again. Um, I would love as, it. As, as often as you would like. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, it's always a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, so thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for, for an interesting conversation. We will, uh, again, have you back soon. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week with another podcast. So, thanks. Get.